God says, I'm going to show you when Messiah the Prince is going to come. You can start counting from the decree of Artaxerxes, 173,880 days. That's why Jesus wept over the city. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. Fulfilled prophecy. It is the key component of the book of Daniel, and it is this book and chapter 9, that section some have called Daniel's Mount Everest of prophecy because of its incredible volume, content, and accuracy that we are studying today. Any man, woman, or child who ever doubted his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ can't help but be restored by studying Daniel 9. For in this section, we see the incredible accuracy of God's Word in foretelling future events. Let's join Pastor Brogy today as he begins his message, The Great Timeout, by reviewing the first 69 weeks of years leading to what we call the church age. Take God's Word with you this morning and turn to Daniel chapter 9. We've been studying the life and times of Daniel the prophet. We've discovered that his name, Daniel, El is, of course, the Hebrew word for God means God is my judge. And this is a man who lived up to that name. He was a man who really could care less what people thought. He was a God pleaser, not a man pleaser. And we've seen that pleasing of the Lord in the midst of a pagan culture. Now, when you come to the ninth chapter, if you have any interest in Bible prophecy, and you should if you're born again, it's one of the most important chapters in the Old Testament. Daniel 9 is God's outline, God's blueprint for the people of Israel. And it very clearly pictures how God will culminate human history as we know it through the Jewish people. And so this is one of the very, very important passages. Some have called it the Mount Everest of prophecy in all of the Old Testament because, among other things, it provides divine proof for the inspiration of God's Word. Prophecy really is history pre-written. And this is one of the reasons the liberals absolutely hate this book. And next to Genesis is the most attacked book in all of the Bible because the prophecies here are so specific. Now, if you remember when we first met Daniel in the opening chapter, he was just a youth somewhere around the age of 15, 16, 17 years of age when he's taken captive into Babylon. When we left him in chapter 6, he was an old man, possibly in his late 80s or early 90s. And if you follow the chronology of the book very carefully, the test of Daniel in the lion's den is really the capstone of his entire life. And yet, when you come to the end of the chapter, chapter 6 obviously does not end the book. There are 12 chapters in the Hebrew Bible. And so... How do we put this all together? Well, remember, there are some time gaps between the chapters, the first six chapters. We met him as a teenager, then we saw him in his 40s, then we saw him in his 60s, and we left him in in the sixth chapter in his 80s. And the first six chapters follow chronologically. And by the way, chapters 7 through 12 happen chronologically, but they do not all happen chronologically, the events of 7 through 12, after 1 through 6. The events in 7 through 12, which happen chronologically, happen chronologically around the events of 1 through 6. So as you can see on this chart, 
The chapter opens with the captivity where they're carried away. The second chapter, Nebuchadnezzar's dream that Daniel interpreted. Then the image that he builds to exalt himself. Then how God humbles him in his pride and I believe converted him. But before you come to the fifth chapter where Babylon falls to the Medo-Persian Empire, there are two visions that are recorded that chronologically happen between these two chapters. The vision in chapter 7 of those beasts, we call it the times of the Gentiles, and the vision in chapter 8 of the ram and the he-goat. And then between chapters 5 and 6, between the fall to the Persians and the lion's den, is where the ninth chapter follows. And after chapter 6, we will see the rest of the book will follow. And if you don't think your way through that carefully, the book can become a little confusing to you. But all of the chronology and the dates are there for any thinking person to discover. Now, if you look at the first two verses of this chapter, it reminds us of the timing of this great prophecy. Verse 1 says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Asuherus, of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom, of the Chaldeans. I hope you remember King Darius in chapter 5. He broke into a drunken party that King Belshazzar was having with the holy utensils from the Jerusalem temple. And we're told here in verse 2, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So this vision here in chapter 9 happens sometime very close to Daniel's experience in the lion's den. That would mean, again, that he's possibly in his late 80s or even early 90s. And since this is the first year of Darius's reign, and these dates are firm in secular history, that's what's so amazing about the book of Daniel and it's one of the reasons some of the secularists say it was written after the fact, but the dates match up, it tells me that 67 of the 70 years of captivity have been completed. Now remember, for 490 years, the Jewish people had disobeyed a command of God. He said every seventh year the land was to rest for a year, and they were going to trust God with extra provision in the sixth year to provide for that seventh year. They were to allow the land to rest. But they disobeyed that for 490 years. So God said, if you won't give the land rest, I'll give it rest. And so that's why the captivity is 70 years long. It's not a number pulled out of the wind. But here's Daniel, and he recognizes that he is on the threshold of the fulfillment of a prophecy that Jeremiah had made concerning this 70 years. And so beginning in verse 20 until the end of the chapter, we see the prophecy as it comes. We studied the first 19 verses where you find Daniel agonizing and fasting in prayer for the people of Israel. He's confessing his own sins and the sins of the people. And then in answer to the prayer, God gives a prophecy that goes from the first coming of the Messiah all the way until his glorious sovereign second coming reign. Starting in verse 20, and we're going to review, it's going to make the sermon a little longer, but it's been a long time since we've been here in this ninth chapter, so let me try to bring it home. 
Verse 20, now while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of the people, my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God in behalf of the holy mountain of my God, while I was still speaking in prayer, then the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. Notice this angel, the one you know so well from the New Testament, is called the man Gabriel. Why is that? Because every time in the Scripture an angel appears, they always appeal, appear in male form. On Resurrection Sunday, Mary Magdalene sees two angels at the tomb. And in the parallel account, they're called two men, and the word men is on air. It's gender-specific. And so angels, in spite of common art of our day and even medieval art, they always appear as males in the Bible. So the man Gabriel is described whom I had seen in the vision previously, and he came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. Don't miss that. Here's a man who's in the world, but not of the world. He's praying at the time of the evening offering, which would be 3 p.m. in the afternoon, the exact time Jesus died on the cross. God had established a principle that because sin brings death, and since the life is in the blood, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. Of course, the Old Testament sacrifices could not be efficacious in dealing with your sin, but they pictured what Messiah, what the Christ was going to do. And so he comes, he's on temple time, though the temple has been demolished for nearly 70 years. He's still thinking biblically because his heart is not in the world. And he says in verse 22 and 23, he, Gabriel, gave me instruction and talked with me and said, oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding. That phrase insight with understanding is used throughout the book. Insight refers to revelation or to information that is received. Understanding is the unfolding the explanation of that revelation. Verse 23, at the beginning of your supplication, the command was issued, and I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed, so give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. He's not received the vision yet, but God is about to tell him what the vision is and explain it to him. Now, when you come to the vision here in verses 24 through 27, like other visions we have studied, this is a prophecy of things to come. And most consider verses 24 through 27 the high point of prophecy in the book of, of Daniel. And in many ways, it's the, it's the skeleton of, uh, that you hang biblical prophecy on throughout the Old Testament. So we are spending four Sundays. We've already spent two. This is the third Sunday. We saw last time that in these 70 weeks of prophecy, God pinpoints the precise time in which God will leave heaven and take on our humanity as the Messiah. So let me review some of the high points of it. And you may want to go back if you're new. I spent an hour and 10 minutes. It was a long sermon, but this section cannot easily be broken down and, and understand it in just little small pieces. You've got to understand some of the units together. So you might want to go back and review, but first we studied the period of time, 70 weeks, verse 24. 70 weeks have been decreed. Now, if you see the word weeks, you see that there in the New American Standard. If you have the NASB, 
which is probably the most literal translation available to us in modern English today, you'll see a little number before the word weeks. And if you go out into the margin, it will say sevens. It's the Hebrew word shavua. One English translation renders it 77s, and that's okay. The word shavua means weeks or sevens. It's probably best for you in your mind to think sevens every time you see this word weeks. Seventy-sevens have been decreed for you. Now, understand that the Jewish people had this word sevens, which is kind of like our word dozens. If I said to you, 70 dozen has been given to you, you'd say 70 dozen what? And so when you read 70 weeks or 77s, you want to ask 77s of what? Because in the Jewish mindset, there are two kinds of weeks. There's a weeks of days that most of us know and understand, and there's a weeks of years. In six days you shall do your work, and on the seventh you shall rest. And so they honored the Sabbath day, the seventh day of the week. And that's familiar to most of us, the week of days. We have a seven-day week. But what is not familiar to most Gentiles is the week of years. And so I went through very carefully last time, and I gave you three reasons from the Bible, where, why he is dealing not with 70 weeks of days, but 70 weeks of years. And you can read of the weeks of years in the book of Leviticus chapter 25. So he's not talking about 70 sevens, 70 times seven or 490 days. He's talking about 70 sevens or 490 years. So he's looked in the back to 490 years of disobedience that resulted in a 70-year captivity. And now he's going to look ahead 490 years and what God is going to do. And he's going to describe events that will take us from the first coming all the way into the second coming of Christ. Now, that was the period of time spoken of. Then we talked a little bit about the people that were involved. Again, verse 24, 70 weeks have been decreed for your people. Who are your people? Well, Daniel is Hebrew, so obviously he's talking about your people, the Jews. This is a prophecy concerning the nation of Israel, not Gentiles, only as we relate to the Jewish people. And so if you want to understand prophecy, you have to understand the Jewish people. God brought the first coming of the Messiah through the Jewish people, and he will bring the second coming of the Messiah through the Jewish people. So first he mentions your people, the Hebrew people. Then in addition, he mentions two princes. Uh, the first of these two princes here in verse 25 is called Messiah the Prince. The word Messiah, Messiah means an anoint, anointed one, but it's not... Uh, it's not an anointed one, but is in the King James and the New American Standard and the HCSB, which is most precise. It says the anointed one. He's talking about not just any anointed one, but the Messiah, the anointed one. And of course, the one he is referring to in hindsight is the Lord Jesus Christ. But he also speaks of another prince, the prince who is to come. Look at verse 26, then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing, and the people of the prince to come will destroy the city 
and the sanctuary. We will study this prince next time in full detail. And we will see he is very distinctly different from Messiah the prince. The prince who is to come will commit the abomination of desolation that Jesus refers to in Matthew chapter 24. We often know the prince who is to come as the Antichrist. All right, now, beyond the period of time, beyond the people, we also studied the place that is involved. Look at verse 24. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people in your holy city. Now, there's only one holy city in all the Bible, and it is Jerusalem. And I believe with all my heart that Jerusalem is the most important city on the face of the earth. It's more important than Moscow or Washington or New Delhi or Tokyo or Paris or Rome or even Nashville. It is the most important city on the face of the earth. The psalmist said, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of God, of our God, His holy mountain. He describes Jerusalem as the city of God, beautiful in elevation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. It was the place where God himself in all of his glory would come into the temple. It was the place in which the Lord Jesus ministered to in the streets and in the temple precincts. It was the city by which he was crucified. It was the city from which he was raised from the dead. It was the city from which he ascended from the Mount of Olives up into heaven. And it is the same city, the Bible says, at his second coming, he will literally plant his feet again on the same mountain he ascended from. And so let's briefly step through in light of this place the purpose that God has as it relates to these people in this place. And if you remember, there are six purposes that are summarized beginning here in verse 24, and they are easily identifiable with six Hebrew infinitives that are introduced in our English Bibles with the word to. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city first to finish the transgression. Not a transgression, it's articular. The transgression. And what is the transgression of Israel? The fact that they rejected Yeshua, Jesus, as the Messiah. But there's coming a day, as we will see, when that will end. One day, the transgression of rejecting Jesus will be finished. And that brings us to the second infinitive, to make an end of sin. You see, in their unbelief, the Hebrew people, like scores and millions of Gentiles across the planet, tried to earn their forgiveness. Paul, when he gives an explanation of why they rejected Jesus, one of the reasons in Romans chapter uh, 10 for not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. To go to heaven, you need God's righteousness. And you can try to achieve your own by works, but God calls that rebellion. God asks us to submit ourselves to the righteousness that comes as a gift. So God spells it out. It will take 490 years to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin. Then the third purpose, to make atonement 
for iniquity. He's talking about the sins of the Hebrew people. He's talking about the Jewish people having their sins put away or atoned for. And as we studied in Romans 11, as we will study when we come to the book of Revelation, that is going to happen in the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy, in the last seven years known as the Great Tribulation, after the church has been raptured. First the rapture, then the tribulation, then the second coming. There is going to be a great turning of the Jewish people across the planet. And fourth, that will bring in everlasting righteousness. He's referring to the millennial kingdom. The Bible speaks of the fact that God would literally reign on the throne of David, even at the birth of the Lord Jesus. Mary was told by this same angel, Gabriel, that her baby would occupy the throne of his father, David. And so we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Most people have no idea what they're praying, but we pray for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that day is going to happen when Jesus comes again. Notice the fifth infinitive, to seal up vision and prophecy. God is saying this will wrap up all things. All that I predicted and prophesied will be fulfilled. And that's what God is working for, and that's what He will do. And six, when will God cross the last T and dot the final I? Well, he's going to do this when he seals up all prophecy, and then he will anoint the most holy place. What's that about? Well, we will see. It's about a temple that is yet to be built, not the tribulation temple that the Antichrist will defile, but another temple that will be built during the millennium in which God's people will go and worship in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount on the Sabbath day. Not because animal sacrifices are efficacious, but as a picture of what the Lord Jesus did and as a witness to babies of tribulation saints who are born during the time of, of the reign of the Messiah. So someday, God is going to put his forever blessing on a final temple. Now that's the overall plan. That's the plan as it's spelled out. But Daniel is not satisfied with generalities, and I thank God that he was not, and that God went on and explained in detail how much of this will unfold. So he begins with four details of this coming plan, and the first deals with the commencement, when it all starts. Look at verse 25. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. So when will the 77s and 70 weeks, the 490 years begin? God tells us. He says it will commence with the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. So you can see on this next slide, I've entitled A Critical dec Decree. There's only one in Scripture that fits the bill, and it's the decree found in Nehemiah chapter 8, the decree of Artaxerxes Longamanus to rebuild and restore the city of Jerusalem. It happened on Nisan 1, 445 B.C., or our Julian calendar, March the 14th, 445 B.C. And um, that is the starting point 
date from the commandment to restore, the, the, the decree to restore Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, it's going to be 69 times 7 or 483 years. If you were here last time, you know what that meant. Uh, look on this next slide. In verse 25, we find uh, two time frames. Uh, one that is called seven weeks, seven times seven. Remember, weeks of years, not weeks of days. So seven times seven is 49, 49 years. And God says from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, it will take 49 years. Now, secular history records it took 49 years. Again, that's why they hate this book. Because the Jewish people and the church have always believed it was written in the 6th century B.C. And the liberals want to say it was written after the fact. That he was not Daniel the prophet, but Daniel the historian. But we will see before we're done with this book how that entire argument falls apart. But just as God said, it was rebuilt in 49 years. And as he prophesied in time of distress, and you can read of that in the book of Ezra, in the book of Nehemiah. So he gave the commencement of the count. He spoke of the construction of this city. Then he spoke of the coming of the Christ. Look again in verse 25. From the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So we're told precisely from the issuing of decree, which King Artaxerxes made, until Messiah the Prince... There will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. What's seven plus 62? Yes, 69. 69 weeks of years. So 69 times seven is 483 years from the issuing of the decree until Messiah the Prince. And so this is a mathematical prophecy. It's mind-blowing. Again, the liberals hate it. We know the date the decree was issued on. You count 483 years. Where does it bring you? It brings you to Palm Sunday. It brings you to that year when Jesus came into Jerusalem. You got the command, Nisan 1, 445 B.C. It brings you to Nisan 10, 32 A.D. Remember, this is in the 6th century B.C. He's saying in the future there's going to be a king who's going to write a decree to rebuild and restore the city of Jerusalem. And you can start counting from that. 483 years, a Messiah will come. And it brings us precisely in days to Nisan 10, or April the 6th, 32 AD, we call that in the Christian calendar Palm Sunday, when he came into Jerusalem and made his triumphal entry, and they laid those palms in front of him and said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. God says, I'm going to show you when Messiah the Prince is going to come. You can start counting from the decree of Artaxerxes, 173,880 days. That's why Jesus wept over the city. Unlike the wise men who knew is the time frame for the Messiah to come. Unlike Anna and Simeon in the temple who knew is the time frame for Messiah to come. The Jewish people in their unbelief missed him. Jesus said in Luke 19, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. This was their day. And had they just picked up and read the prophet Daniel, they would have recognized it. But as he says in Luke 19, 44, you did not recognize the time of your visitation. How absolutely incredible is the accuracy of this book. For what was predicted came to pass just as it was prophesied. 
But that shouldn't surprise us. After all, all Scripture is inspired by God. To listen again to today's message, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and request program DAN14. This message is the second of two dealing with the 70 weeks of prophecy of Daniel. So when you call, you may wish to order program DAN13 as well. And for a complete listing of our study resources, visit our website, searchthescriptures.org. There you'll be able to search by topic or by book and find whatever areas interest you. Tomorrow, Pastor Carl's wife Audrey is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. And when we return Monday, we'll pick up where we left off in our study on the 70 Weeks of Prophecy and our message, The Great Time Out. Join us then as we search the scriptures.